0: we have so much variety within proximity we have so many different types of ski areas you know so it depends on your ability what are you looking for another thing is rental gear is awesome now and you can even like demo gear is out of this world so you don't have to own this whole fancy setup and if you only want to go two to three times a year just go to a ski shop or a ski area and demo something you know just go and be like hey I haven't gone in this amount of time and I'm looking to, to ski this type of terrain and they'll just hand you something amazing. Know that you don't have to own everything.
1: Hello Powderhounds and welcome to the Powderhounds podcast, a podcast about just having fun skiing and riding. I'm your host, Jeff Shaw. For those new to the podcast, you will hear stories from the slopes, I laughs, and fun ski trivia games. This episode, recorded on Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020, will feature a conversation with Shannon Dunphy-Ball, Marketing and Communications Manager, Ski New Hampshire. Ski New Hampshire is a nonprofit trade association of ski areas in the Granite State. Buckle up for a fast-paced, witty, and often humorous conversation that begins with the tale of a two-year-old summiting Cranmore Mountain, competing in the X Games, trading sticks and snow for sails and sun as a pirate cruising the Mediterranean Sea, and eventually channeling that collection of ice axes to claw back up to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. This episode will also include familiar segments, an outdoor state of mind, ski news of the week-ish, and a handful of New Hampshire-specific ski trivia questions, perfect for your next outdoor and socially distanced backyard fire pit banter. The opening tune of today's episode was Lion Babe, honoring Shannon's days jumping high and making smooth rhythm turns while competing in border cross at the X Games. So sit back, kick your feet up relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding. We will begin the episode with a familiar segment, an outdoor state of mind. Topic, golf. Again? And theme, recreation. Now, apologies for the repetitiveness of topic. I probably should just rename the segment, The Golf Report, until there is snow on the ground. Actually, it's snowing outside my window right now. Last weekend, I found myself on a bright, sunny, 50-degree day at Keeney Park Golf Course in Hartford for a casual round with two fellow powder hounds, my man Gans, guest from the Aspen, Colorado episode, and the elusive Sasquatch-like Quinto, who someday may exit the Lego Shadowlands and make an appearance on the pod. To keep things interesting, we played a game of nines on the front nine and bingo, bango, bongo on the back nine. For those unfamiliar with those golf games, nines is a three-player game where nine points are distributed among the three golfers. The winner of the hole, best score, gets five points, second place three points, and last one point for a total of, you guessed it, nine points. If there are ties, the points get evenly distributed. Now, bingo, bango bongo is a game where three points are awarded on each hole for three firsts or closest. First ball on the green is bingo or one point. Closest to the hole, once every ball is on the green, is bango, another point. And finally, first to sink the putt is bongo, and the last single point. Playing in order is required. Like anything, once you get into it, it ends up being more fun than it sounds. (laughs) While we were keeping score to award points for the previously described games, I wasn't paying too close attention to my cumulative score. Then it dawned on me. I was actually playing pretty well. Like, really well. The indicators were as follows, honors on the tee box more often than not, no lost balls on the front nine, winning bingo, bango, bongo, sinking almost every putt inside 10 feet. I even escaped two deep bunkers, not only in one stroke, but left the ball close enough to make the putt. Sadly, the scorecard was carelessly tossed by the elusive Sasquatch, but I was able to recreate the round thanks to a straightforward performance. The 5% or less ABVs of Iron City Mango and Von Trapp Lager also helped. It became increasingly clear that I broke 90, something I have only done a couple times in all these years playing this excruciatingly frustrating yet wonderful game. I had also never completed the feat in front of these powder hounds. It was confirmed by fellow Powderhounds hounds in a text message exchange, 46 on the front, 43 on the back, for the most unassuming 89 ever. As I've mentioned before, once winter arrives, golf courses, at least in my town, are open to the public for recreation. Cross-country skiing and snowshoeing being the favorite activities once the links are frozen and covered. But thanks to yet another New England Lost Ski Area Project entry, I've been learning about the former ski area of the Hartford Ski Club located on the west side of Talcott Mountain in nearby Avon. For listeners familiar with the area, Basically, the ski area was located between the Talcott Tower and the former Tower Ridge golf course. There are apparently some abandoned equipment riding in the woods for any doubters. You see where this is going, right? (laughs) From the Hartford Ski Club, quote, The abandonment of our Avon Slope in 1959 was caused by the lack of snow and the inroads for golf. It was with nostalgic feelings for many to see the passing of this era in the history of the Hartford Ski Club. Then to the right, there is a map of the area where you can see the ski area shaded on top of the previously mentioned golf course. But that post was from 2007. Said golf course went out of business a few years back and the area rightly abandoned. So if we ever get a good snow dump, it just might be worth a hike up this winter and try to recreate those old lines. Moving on to our next segment, Ski News of the Week-ish. We'll begin with chairlift news. That's right. My buddy Kyle, guest on the Stowe Vermont episode, shared this recent gem and short film, The Chairlift, bringing skiers together in ways nothing else can. Now here's a excerpt from Forecast Ski. Quote, though often overlooked and underappreciated, the chairlift may be the single greatest invention in the history of modern skiing. This short film from Switchback Entertainment for Solomon TV is a celebration of the device that brings skiers together in a way that nothing else can, end quote. Again, one of those underappreciated pieces of the complicated ski area puzzle gets its day. While modern engineering has produced some of the more unimaginable lift triumphs, this film gets you longing for those lower capacity, slower, and iconic rides that ignited our excitement, imagination, and fascination for the sport when first starting out on the mountain. That competing duality of new, wanting newer, faster, more comfortable lifts also mean more people on the mountain and more people on your ski trail compared to, say, old, older, less capacity lifts, slowing things down, having time to enjoy the surroundings, the scenery, the conversation, while keeping the armies and armies of skiers and riders on the trail at bay. It's a fun exercise to let the mind wander on that topic. After not spending too much time wandering, I came to the simple conclusion that both can exist. On one hand, of course, get me up the mountain as fast as possible. There will be stoppages. People will fall unloading and loading onto the lift. There will be wind holds. There will be maintenance issues. On the other hand, it would be criminal to tear down, say, the single chair at Mad River Glen, to make room for some high-speed detachable bubble chair. As inefficient as that chair is, it represents simply too much to discard. Not to mention, in 2012, Mad River Glen became the first ski area in the nation to be listed as a historic district in the National Register of Historic Places. Of lesser historical significance, but still important to many, the iconic single chair also has a beer named after it. In case you're wondering, that would be single-chair ale brewed by Magic Hat. So yeah, 12-minute ride to the summit in perpetuity. There are countless articles about the best, favorite, top chairlifts, so feel free to go down that rabbit hole. If I had to pick one, it would probably be the little-known Eagle Wind Triple at Winter Park, Colorado. It's a slow triple that ascends a steep, gladed section of the mountain, There is never a lift line because it's hard to get to and only serves extreme terrain. But if you want solitude and can ski deep, steep, and tight terrain, this one's for you. On to more good news. Opening days! Now the following is courtesy of On the Snow. Upcoming openings for this first weekend of December. Now this is a New Hampshire-based episode, so we'll start with Some New Hampshire ski areas, Mount Sunapee, Ragged Mountain, and Wildcat all opening this weekend. Others that caught my eye, but this is not at all inclusive. In Vermont, Mad River Glen, Stratton, out west, Silverton, Colorado, Taos, New Mexico, Kirkwood, California, Deer Valley, Utah, and Crystal Mountain, Michigan. Again, there are dozens and dozens of ski areas opening every day over the next few weeks, so follow On the Snow to get the latest information. Moving on to our featured segment, winter is coming. Topic, Ski New Hampshire. While my first ski turns were made on the rolling peaks of Connecticut, my first crack at a 2,000-foot vertical drop was at Waterville Valley, New Hampshire. I remember that day vividly. Already clicked into the straightest and longest skis imaginable for an 8-year-old, I had convinced my new-to-skiing parents to do an intermediate run to the bottom. The agreed-upon route was the Trail Express, apparently renamed Hassle on today's trail map, to Oblivion, to Upper Valley Run, to the bottom. All intermediate runs. But did I mention my folks were new to skiing? (laughs) Sporting no fear and a smile, I went first and never looked back. I also never stopped. It was a long while until the parents appeared on the final stretch of the multi-trail run. They were exhausted, a little annoyed but also impressed on how well I did. The first taste of exhilarating freedom led to catching the last chair the next four days. I also recall staying at the Black Bear Lodge, which had an indoor-outdoor pool, which, to a kid, was one of the coolest things in the world. Funny what you remember. It probably does not surprise you to hear that the same 1989-1990 Waterville Valley trail map is one of the few framed trail maps proudly displayed in my home. All of this is to say, New Hampshire ski areas have plenty to offer, for everyone. The Granite State offers up beautiful, all-season white mountain scenery, natural wonders, iconic ski towns, many oozing with local charm thanks to those covered bridges, natural beauty, and the fluffy white stuff come winter. Rich in history, the ski areas are perfect for never bins families, even groups of varying abilities, and have plenty of outdoor recreation opportunities just be sure to demo the snowler blades. Final instructions before I introduce Shannon. First, make sure you know before you go. Second, don't bite off more than you can chew, especially in the backcountry. First responders don't need more work. Finally, be sure to pack some snacks. Cheddar Goldfish should do the trick. Enjoy. I am excited to welcome to the podcast, Shannon Dunfee Ball, Marketing and Communications Manager, Ski New Hampshire. Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
0: Hey, Jeff. I couldn't think of a better thing to do with my time. I'm pumped to be here.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, before we get into uh, Ski New Hampshire, tell us a little about yourself. Where are you from?
0: Uh, I was born and raised in Maine. I grew up mostly south of Portland in a place called South Portland.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Where is that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: Just crossed the bridge. That's pretty mm-hmm. great. Um, but I had like really awesome grandparents who were skiers. So I got to grow up with a ski house that my mom now lives in full time in North Conway, New Hampshire. So I've always considered North Conway where I live now. Um, it's always been, you know, sort of always felt more like home than actual home where I grew up.
1: Fantastic ski town USA. Now, <laughs> uh, so that's that problem. My next question flows right into that. How long have you been skiing and snowboarding (laughs) since you were pretty much uh, on two feet?
0: Well, so my mom claims, but you know how moms are, she claims that I could ski all of Cranmore's trails, Cranmore Mountain Resort Mm -hmm. in North Conway by the age of two. And, um, I'm a December baby. I'm born just after Christmas. So, um, and I've been known to be like relatively fearless. Um, so apparently since two and, um, that brought me on, my snowboarding days came on in the late nineties, early two thousands. And I was a X games competitor and did water cross and different things and just got smashed basically every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like hurt, not drunk. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. I can only imagine. And we might have to uh, dig into that a little bit. Um, brutal. yeah. Wow. Well, that's, that's quite a. <laughs> age 2 i'm just letting this wash over me <laughs> cuz <'cause> i got <laughs> that is amazing and uh yeah mom's don't exaggerate at all <laughs> wow. so we're going to go with it <laughs> 90 trails wow all right so uh within that from so uh those those years were you going through gear like crazy i imagine so snowboard skis uh and uh, some of those wrecks but uh are you still a gearhead or do you uh see how long Honestly, the gear lasts
0: i um I grew up with used gear my whole life. Um, and, and until I got sponsored snowboarding, I I'd never had anything new, you know, until I got good enough where, where you would like, get it given to you or you'd win it in a competition, like it was always used. And um, we actually have a really great gear swap up here every every fall um, where the proceeds go to the ESSC club. So that's the, you know, kids who get to ski midweek, the local schools. And um, even still to this day, I'm partial to used gear. <laughs> I don't know, so I guess you could call me a used gearhead if that's okay. a thing. I just, you know, yeah. I have I have no problems getting something that might not be brand new, and if it works for me, I I think that's fantastic.
1: Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> now, I how, how would just say, how many pieces of gear have you gone through
0: in Um, your career? I want to
1: own a number on that. I over under on thirty.
0: Oh, over. Yeah. Woo! When I was competing, they would, you know, I would get like six snowboards a year, you know, um, and bindings and boots and all the things. But those were the glory days. Now I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I more so have maybe like every two years, I'll get, I'll get new gear. Um, that way I can sort of sell it and, and different things.
1: Gotcha. All right. So then uh, this might be a harder question than I imagine. So in terms of terrain, Groomers bumps glades or steeps got to pick one.
0: Oh, um, what? Yeah, um, put
1: them in order if you, it makes you feel better. <laughs> What's
0: The weather on the day,
1: like groomers Ideal conditions. Bumps,
0: glades, or steep.
1: Ideal conditions. Let's go for a powder day. Let's keep it positive. Groomers, right. bumps, glades. Well, steep. a
0: powder day. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, like the glades in the trees for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah that just iconic scene, which we'll dig into in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then final question before we transition to Ski New Hampshire, outside of New Hampshire, the Granite State, what is your favorite place to ski? Or if you haven't gone to that sad destination mountain, uh, where would it be? Or uh, what, side of the, uh, what side of the continent or the uh, ocean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, I am lucky to also, my husband is, he's in mountain ops. Uh, so we're both, yeah, we met skiing and we we're both in, into skiing, our family ski, it's sort of a thing. So we had the opportunity to go to Chamonix a couple years ago and, um, we got to ski, I would say probably the Grand Monts, Um, the mountain out there is, is pretty epically amazing. Um, and we got to skate in many different ski conditions and it was just, I don't know. You felt like you were literally on top of the world. It was incredible
1: well let's just that let's let's just let that settle in right there on top of the world (laughs) love it well thank you very much for sharing a little bit about yourself your background in skiing and as we transition to sort of the main topic ski new hampshire uh, how long have you been working in the outdoor industry i understand you've been with ski new hampshire for a few seasons now
0: And Um, uh, where
1: where did that all start how'd you end up there
0: well i my dad is a solid gearhead he Um, he was a fisherman. And so he worked, you know, outside, and then he became a soil scientist working outside. Um, And he had amazing collections of things like, I don't know who needs like 17 ice axes, but you know, he had them, (laughs) like, um, you know, and like a bunch of sleeping bags and everything. So I grew up um, with two different gearheads. and, And my mom was just the same. She, you know, was into triathlons in the 80s. And you know marathon running my whole family's a little outrageous um so i've been pretty pretty lucky to be raised in the outdoors um and even sent to, to private schools and different things that let me be outdoors where our sports were like white water paddling and backcountry skiing so that's pretty cool um i went to white mountain school up in bethlehem new hampshire okay and um <laughs> so before i got i was in the ski industry obviously competing you know and then I got out of the ski industry because of an injury, which we don't need to talk about because that's not fun. Um, and then finished up college and I became a pirate. So I worked on tall ships for like close to a decade and I sailed um, all, in, all up and down the, the East Coast of the United States. And then I actually moved and lived in Europe for around eight years, um, sailing in the Mediterranean, Baltic, and North Seas around there. Um, And then I moved back to this country about about four years ago and, um, you know, found my way to this job and found my way back to the mountains. And I've been here ever since.
1: Well, welcome back. I'm so glad (laughs) I asked you that last question, because just to recap (laughs) listeners. All right. Uh, dad had 17 ice axes, uh, spent a uh, number of years uh, sailing along as a pirate outside of the U.S. and the, the, the glistening Mediterranean and other places. As a two-year-old, skied perhaps 90 trails at Cranmore Mountain and X-game competitor worth the over 30 pairs of skis over that, uh, that illustrious career. So, Shannon, you are by far one of the uh, most interesting, fascinating people I've uh, gotten the privilege to uh, talk to, so thank you. <laughs> Airing. this should be fun uh well, when you
0: say it like that it sounds entirely made up but for the record there's not 90 <laughs> trails at cranmore so
1: all right so the m- mother was embellishing yeah. a little yeah, bit i don't want still. like ben
0: wilcox to hear that and be like what
1: <laughs> <laughs> just the, the expansion plans down the road yeah no big deal. yeah <laughs> love it love it well we're gonna have some fun today i think i think that's the way uh, the vibe i'm getting so uh let's talk about a little bit about ski new hampshire uh now that you've made it back to the uh U.S. four years uh, in the making, so uh, tell us a little bit about the, what is Ski New Hampshire.
0: Sure, uh, Ski New Hampshire is the not-for-profit trade association, um, and we represent 30 alpine and cross-country ski areas in the state of New Hampshire. Um, and we we support our members in a couple different ways. So we do some government relations and education. Um, the education for our members, so that could be um, like providing an opportunity for diesel, diesel mechanics to get together, um, shoot the stuff and, and learn some new skills, look at some new cats, different things of that sort, uh, lift maintenance um, or HR. You know, We like to have the DOL come and talk to the HR. Those are really exciting. And um, we also do marketing and promotion. That's where um, I am involved in the education side and the marketing promotion side a lot as a marketing communications manager and then we do, we have membership and network opportunities. So we also put on a conference annually, um, which is really fun and awesome. And, you know, we have our associate members, which are, you know, different companies and people who have, they're like stakeholders in the industry. And it could be anyone from um, someone who has a print shop to someone who sells skis or provides some sort of um, point of sale station, you know, or or engineers we actually have a lot of engineers who are associate members um, and so we sort of manage a lot of that and what we specifically focus on on any one day totally changes which is the coolest part of this gig where no one day is the the same and um, just because my title says marketing communications does not mean that i spend you know all day every day doing that um, you never, you never know what you're going to get when you come into the office each day. It's all dependent on what, you know, what do our ski areas need?
1: A lot of hats. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I want to talk a little about those ski areas. So uh, like you said, it uh, looks like you have a few dozen uh, member ski areas. You mentioned the affiliates, other outdoor industries. And from my take, they are varying sizes, uh, geographic locations, history. So you have Larger ski areas, sort of with the 2,000 plus foot vertical, the the Loons, the Watervilles. You have smaller ski areas, Dartmouth Skiway and King Pine. You have a state-operated Cannon and Mount Sunapee. You have a nonprofit Whaleback, uh, and of course the commercially owned and operated ski areas, some of which are on mega passes, others are doing their own thing. And um, so the diversity of skiing in New Hampshire is kind of striking, at least to the outsider. And uh, can you talk about the evolution of perhaps the ski industry in New Hampshire, you know, why all these different business models seem to work and maybe how Ski New Hampshire uh, helps that and makes that happen, provides a little bit of assistance there.
0: Sure, is the answer because we're in New England? Like, does that work? Um, I feel like there's something about New England specifically. Um, You know, I've, I've lived in various parts of the world and the country, and there's just something about New England where we, I feel like there's just the diversity of businesses, businesses type business types, and then um, this sort of I guess people being really um, I don't like they choose like their favorite place and they go there and it becomes part of their identity, you know, that type of dedication you you see a lot in in New Englander ways. So I feel like that, you know, is definitely something that attributes to the fact that we have. So many, because it's it's small, you know, New Hampshire is a really small state. But because people are so, you know, supportive of, of various opportunities and different things, um, and believe in passing down, you know, a lot of, you know, their experiences to, to future generations. And the reason I speak to that is, uh, my, my grandmother was actually the first person who got into skiing for my family. So, um, and I love that because I think a lot of people assume it's sort of like a man's world and a man's sport. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, both sexes participate and we have a great time doing that. And it was my grandmother who who introduced that to my family. And she started, she would travel up on the snow train um, in the 40s and, you know, with her with her girlfriends. And they would come up and they would... <laughs> Apparently, the story goes, she would arrive in North Conway at the train station and then some sort of like Studebaker or some large (laughs) vehicle would come and pick them up, take them to the Stonehurst Manor and they would ski all day and then dance all night in their ski boots. That is sort of (laughs) what I know about skiing back then. Um, And she just she loved it. She loved the freedom of doing it and um, I don't know, it was something she wanted to, to pay forward to her family. So my grandfather eventually learned how to ski, I think at like maybe 35 or 40. Um, he was never really like amazing to watch skiing, but um, he he learned to love it. And then his brothers and sisters, everyone, it sort of became a part of our thing. And so they bought the house up here in North Conway. Um, and I think there's a lot of people in New England who have a similar story. Um, we have our ski industry here, you know, uh, Cranmore Mountain is one of those older ski areas in the United States of America with one of the oldest ski schools in America um, with Hannes Schneider and Harvey Gibson. You know, there was some people he, Harvey Gibson helped to bring over Hannes Schneider from Austria. And um, Hannes Schneider was, uh, was a Jew who came over and he started the, the ski school there. And it was, I don't know the specifics with that, but it was definitely one of the first in the United States of America and it became a heart of skiing throughout the nation. And we are so lucky in New England to have had that so early on. So I think a lot of people maybe who are listening to this may know someone, whether it's their actual family or not, who rode the ski train. And that's sort of why they're probably skiing today. So um, skiing in New Hampshire has a long, long history. Um, including you know yeah it's just it's pretty it's pretty amazing and I think that I don't know do you know anyone who ever skied on the or came up on the snow train or?
1: That I, I don't but I absolutely gonna pick up on that theme and just talk about sort of the ski culture in New Hampshire again from someone who uh, grew up a little bit of sa- a little little south in, in Connecticut uh, but I did, uh, thanks to the New England Historical Society, uh, did dig up a few interesting facts that uh, you 've already sort of confirmed i think two out of five of them, <laughs> and uh, that rich history began around one thousand nine hundred and twenty seven through the Appalachian Mountain Club began hacking ski trails at Barrett and Temple Mountains. And uh, this was just as skiing was. They used before. the
0: word hacking.
1: They did. Uh, that's a quote. Yeah, hacking. Hacking okay. the ski trails. <laughs> you might Don't think of anything else. You uh, see quite that a word. visual.
0: I'm just like, yeah. like sort of visualizing part beaver, part man, just like getting <laughs> after it. <laughs>
1: like. Well, that's going to be a busy beaver and man uh, because it's 20 miles of trails apparently in, so, in the southwest corner of New Hampshire. Uh, then uh, also in 1927, the first modern downhill race in the U.S uh dartmouth outing club 1929 peckett's on sugar hill ski school i guess that became the first quote unquote resort based ski school in the u.s first ski train as you mentioned 1929 boston to warner new hampshire 1937 the first chairlift on the east coast first one was on the west in at sun valley a year earlier and of course the iconic cannon aerial tramway arrived in 1938. So right there, I mean, that's just unbelievably rich history. And like you said, for folks, families that have grown up in New England, you must somebody, you know, a few generations back, um, you know, must, must know about that. And if they were into skiing, or um, then they'd be very familiar with that. Now, We think of sort of iconic New Hampshire. You have the White Mountain National Forest, 750,000 acres. Mount Washington State Park, a mere 6,288-foot summit. You could see, I think, uh, six or seven states on a clear day. Uh, You have Tuckerman's Ravine, the quote-unquote birthplace of extreme skiing in America. That's according to the Friends of Tuckerman's Ravine. And I guess they also hosted the first giant slalom in 1937. So, yeah, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, uh, skiing is pretty much intertwined with New Hampshire's identity.
0: Would it's also our official state sport.
1: The official state sport, right? 1998, general court.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Did I Who just are you? you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> is this what you do in your free time?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I'd like to get a little bit of the background. I like to paint a picture. I've been, uh, I sometimes I struggle to do that because I have my own sort of picture that, uh, you know, from my years uh, cruising up to the state and and, and skiing around, hacking around the, the trees. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and uh, and then I guess sort of just the other uh, interesting uh, little piece is uh, we, we were talking about before we started recording, but uh, there was an interesting, you know, short film, North Country featuring the 100 year old uh, ski shop, the America's oldest ski shop, Lahoots in uh, New Hampshire. Again, celebrated its 100th anniversary this year. I guess it's open every day each year. It's The store is in front of, I believe, or maybe the bottom floor of the uh, the house on the second floor. Uh, fourth generation ownership, same family. And this is the best quote I saw. Quote, 100-year-old businesses are a rarity these days. 100-year-old ski shops are even rarer. Um, so I guess uh, all of this is to say so, if someone was to uh, was new to New Hampshire skiing, skiing New Hampshire, they wanted to come up for either a vacation or a weekend. How would you advise them to go about, you know, setting up their itinerary? Where are there any must stops? It, it, maybe Lahoot's one of them. Uh, other uh, areas uh, to check out and to get a good sense of that rich history, uh, as well as obviously uh, pursue a good time.
0: Sure. Well, like that's the coolest part about New Hampshire. You know, as opposed to some of our neighboring states, and just. States in general in the United, United States is that we have so much variety within proximity, you know, and we're really darn close to to Boston. So it's pretty easy to get here, whether you're coming from like Portland, Maine, or or Boston or Springfield, wherever you're coming from. Um, And we have so many different types of ski areas. You know, so it depends on your ability. What are you looking for? You know, are you looking, are you a family who wants to be able to go to one of those smaller ski areas and let your kids run run ragged around, you know, the base and, and just feel safe and do different things? Then uh, we have <laughs> a number of ski areas for you. Some of which are are not for profits or, you know like sort of community run. Um, some of our Nordic ski areas are, you know, sort of they are clubs, but you can also just buy a day pass. Um, So we have a a lot of different variety there. If you're looking for a larger ski area because you're going with a group and you have, you know, people of varied abilities and you're looking for more of that fancy on Aspen Extreme on on Dining Mountain or, um, you know, something where you can like, yeah, sport (laughs) your like wicked hot fur boots, you know, like, so it just, it depends where you want to go. So then you'd probably look for one of those bigger ski areas one of them which you probably know the name of you know okay. so it totally depends who you are as a person and what type of experience you're looking for um, and ski is a great resource for that we again have represent 30 ski areas in the state of new hampshire and if you go to our website you can sort of pick through and um see which ski area might speak best to to you and your family or friend group needs and then you can go directly to their websites I will say for this year specifically, we're really hammering at home to, to know before you go. So planning online in advance and taking time to look at the websites and or actually call the ski areas just to understand um, what you need to do before you arrive to have a successful and awesome visit is definitely something to consider for this year. So,
1: Yep. No, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll definitely uh... Repeat that. Reinforce that theme as we go along. Yeah, just uh, sticking with the website again. Uh, SkiNH.com. dot com. I did notice uh, some programs, focus areas, and one consistent theme that came across. At least one of this uh, web. Web pages was learning programs. So, cross country learn to program, alpine learn to program, adaptive programs, women's programs, kids' programs, what to wear guides. Uh, and <laughs> so, it seems Ski New Hampshire has a lot of information and tips for beginners, perhaps families. Are these programs designed to attract the so called never bins, or is it more of perhaps trying to attract families to, you know, make a, you know, choose their vacation, perhaps make a second home? some combination oh, of both
0: yeah so you know we as an industry nationwide um probably worldwide i can say speak for is we want more skiers we want more people to learn how to ski in snowboard um and or snowler blade like whatever you want to do it's your own thing <laughs> you know we just i may have done that you. once <laughs> <laughs> yeah we want you to, to come and give it a go and um, we have a variety of different types of lessons so whether you are you have you know gone skiing two or three times and and know your way around the bunny hill and you just want your your small child or your boyfriend or girlfriend to learn to ski you know we have we have programs for that um, this year you're going to see a lot more of those sort of like family lessons or small group lessons where if you and some some known group or we could call them pods it seems to be a way to talk about groups this year. Um, and you could all be like around the same ability but not necessarily the exact same ability and you could all go out with an instructor together and um, which could be fun you know sometimes uh, learning something new can be sort of intimidating so maybe if you did it with a group maybe you'd have a more successful experience for yourself depends who you are Um, obviously private lessons are something that I think would be if you if that is something that would work for you, I definitely suggest doing that because then it's just you and the instructor. And um, you know, they can hone in onto what you need to learn specifically to have a successful experience. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? But, um, you know, like a, a group, one of those group lessons might be a little bit more affordable for mm-hmm. you. So there are a lot of different ways to go about it. Um, again, you know, you definitely want to look online and book in advance for those. And um, sometimes they sell them in like three, a package deal of three, because we hope that you come up and try it more than once. Um, skiing and snowboarding, it it depends, you know, who you are as a person, person athletically, and so maybe you'll, you know, be good to go within an hour, or maybe it might take you a day or two. So just, you know know that everyone's different and that's totally cool and just give yourself a break and just have some fun
1: well speaking of everyone being different i also noticed another part of the web website seemed there was a section that spoke to the non-skier maybe family member uh perhaps again looking for that conditional approval for that uh, winter family vacation or something uh i saw that uh, there was uh, the snow coach listed as it's and that's i guess a uh maybe a cat that takes you up uh mount washington in the winter months, obviously promoting shows, snowshoeing, snowmobiling, the snow biking, <laughs> the snowler blading. I definitely did that one year. That really... I just
0: like me. to say that word. I
1: know. I was like, wait. I tried it- to insert that word wherever. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that once. <laughs> uh, no, it was fun. Uh, but it was... it was I, I, Anyway, the demo day was, was good uh, or demo hour, whatever it was. But um, just in terms of the theme of maybe uh, non-skiers, uh, how important is it for I also noticed there's an operating list, a listing on the website. Uh, how important is it for ski areas to promote perhaps those alternative activities for the non-skier so that I guess, yeah, the family can still have a good time with their uh, vacation, whether it's winter or summer, but at least in this case, uh, you know, uh, winter alternatives.
0: Sure. Well, that is definitely something that ski areas nationwide and worldwide have been moving towards. You know ski areas there are some skiers where they you all they provide is is skiing and snowboarding options or snowboarding especially this year but yeah yeah but many of them have other other opportunities too so you're going to see a lot more of the the snow tubing or the yeah mountain coasters zip lining even ice skating you know there's there's various activities because at the end of the day there's some people who are just aren't interested in skiing or you know they'll go skiing one day of their vacation but they don't necessarily want to want to do it for like six or seven days or five days straight you know and for the most part if you go on vacation you might need one day break and then you just want to do some other things and um also if you have groups of people you know going on this vacation together and you have uh, varied ability abilities then this allows you to have something to do as a group together Rather than the, you know, the speedy people are just going ahead, hitting the double black diamonds and then you have some people who are just cruising around doing their thing. So um, I feel like there might be some expert snow tubers, but um, (laughs) for the most part, that is something that you could all do together and have some fun. So that is definitely super important to highlight is that areas aren't just skiing anymore. Um, There's many things to do. And we're not just winter anymore. You'll see a lot of like mountain biking and hiking and disc golf. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do um, during the what we would call the off season. So that would be like summer and fall
1: really hope there's going to be snow tubing in the Olympic trials uh, next uh, <laughs> next time. Um, that's just the absolute perfect segue. I was actually going to ask you a little bit about the four season uh, messaging, marketing, perhaps. I saw on the website, quote, we're not just winter. The New Hampshire experience spans across all four seasons, end quote. So, um, so yeah, again, just picking up, you know, again, where you left off, at least in New England, the Northeast, we do have the Atlantic Ocean. So when it comes around summertime, at least historically, from uh from a lot of people i've spoken to that's sort of you know maybe a little bit more beach and ocean and swimming time whereas maybe compared to the west uh you know the mountains are are landlocked so of course there's a strong culture in the mountains uh in the summertime so i'm just curious with that sort of backdrop um you know what are the no question about it mountains are poor season just regardless of past behavior but uh, where do you see the most growth potential i guess in the recreational opportunities to maybe pull some of those folks either away or have them do both right like carve out enough time to spend some time in the mountains in the summer or all season recreation um, as well as winter recreation
0: and is that
1: uh and is it intentional to sort of you know tweak some messaging around being a four-season state yeah
0: no i i definitely think that new england states in general have been hitting that four-season state home that idea you know because we do have uh, you know we do have the ocean and we have mountains we have lakes you know like there's crazy amount of lakes in new hampshire um so that's definitely worth highlighting we have like gunstock ski area for instance overlooks a lake same with uh, mount centipede um so and, and that's pretty amazing you know you can be skiing with this like beautiful view everyone thinks of tahoe but like we have a little bit of a version of that too here in New Hampshire. <laughs> Not exactly the same, but it's pretty darn close. Um, and I would say, you know, if you're talking about accessible sports like hiking, if you can walk, you can hike. Um, obviously choose a trail that works for you. Don't go and try to do eight hours of like some crazy steep hike if you're you know just starting but there's something for everyone there we have many waterfalls different things um some of the ski areas you can literally take a scenic chairlift ride up the mountain in the summertime like you may or may not walk up or down or you can just ride the chairlift up and down or the gondola in the summer so that's pretty cool and uh, an accessible way to to experience mountains in the summertime um other areas, well, and then again, in the winter, that would be snowshoeing. So, you know, that's hiking of the winter. Um, and then we have mountain biking for summer. We've seen a huge um, surge in mountain biking. We saw it a lot this summer with people sort of looking for activities. So, um, you know, they were buying bikes up like it was. <laughs> I don't even know what people buy up fast, but like that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Super sale and candy. And um, and they're buying boats and all the different outdoor gear. So you know, New Hampshire has something for everyone there. Where you could rent a lake cabin in the summer, but then you can also be in the mountains as well. You know, so that is pretty cool. Again, that variety within proximity in the state of New Hampshire. It's all like within an hour, you could have a number of different experiences. And of course, tax-free shopping for those who want to do that type of, I I consider tax-free shopping probably as wild as going deep into the wilderness. So (laughs) it just depends what you're looking to do.
1: Love it. Yes. Yes. And uh, not just the buildings right outside of the state lines, (laughs) right? The red buildings, I think most Uh, of them are. Um, (laughs) Well, another thing I was thinking about too is like the, um, you know, just sort of my. Uh, you just got me thinking about. Uh, did the uh, Ragnar reach the beach uh, that cuts through New Hampshire? And uh, a few years ago, and we were cruising uh, along Route One Twelve, the Kank. I think it is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, I, I, it might not have been peak, but it was certainly absolutely stunning. And uh, what a ride! Does
0: that mean you had to like r- run up the King of No, I mean...
1: no, we're we're we uh, were we're hopping like the. You know, sort of the next group. So we. Oh, okay. Uh, we I was gonna up say
0: up. that would be brutal.
1: Yeah, Sorry. that would be that. Looking, yeah, knowing uh, <laughs> those turns and those the the ascent and the uh, all the warnings of the trucks to you know, with their brakes. Um, but no, it was absolutely just stunning drive. And if you haven't done it, I mean, that's definitely what you do, uh, and at least maybe in the fall, one of the first things to do. But let's, uh, let's uh, keep moving along as the calendar has into December, into a little bit of this uh, so-called winter season. I understand snow is falling, whether or not it's uh, natural or <laughs> man-made or artificial is, uh, is uh, you know, doesn't matter, is irrelevant. But uh, I'm, you know, remaining uh, excited and, and hopeful of the upcoming season. Of course, it's going to be very different from what we're all used to. And I was looking around on your website and do see that uh, looks like next week is going to be uh, opening weeks for a number of ski areas in New Hampshire. And um, so just curious if uh, you have any more information about that or are there any notable either trail lift lodge capital expansions or additions to some of your oh no I, I saw the uh <laughs> the, well, is there anything that uh, folks should be uh, aware of or looking forward to uh, this upcoming season when they when and if they're able to visit
0: mm, yeah sure so probably the the biggest uh capital project that's been done in new hampshire over the last it's almost spanned two years is the new hampshire's first eight person gondola up at Brentwoods, and then they also have a whole new um, mountaintop venue so the gondola you can so they had a couple what uh, weddings there this summer obviously um, I think they would have had a lot more if we didn't have a global pandemic but um, they did manage to pull off a couple this fall which I can't even imagine how stunning that would be for those of you who don't know Brenton Woods it is a mountain that overlooks Mount Washington and the whole White Mountain range so what they would call the presidential range which is um it's a pretty stunning um pretty stunning mountain range in the east coast and they call it the white mountains because the the very tops are are rocky you know with various types of granite and different things and so um when the sun hits it right it sort of like sparkles and looks a little different from those green covered mountains like they have in vermont for instance um so it is (laughs) and the lodge just looks right up there Um, not to mention they have the mount washington hotel the army there which um (laughs) i think at nighttime it sort of looks like the titanic like it's just sort of massive and has these sparkly lights everywhere and this amazing like iconic white building with a, a red roof and you've probably seen a picture of it all those listeners out there you know there's a few iconic shots of New Hampshire you might have seen floating around. And that would be Mount Washington and the Mount Washington Hotel. And then you probably have seen a number of our covered bridges, for instance, the one in Jackson, New Hampshire, you've probably seen. I almost wish we could like link those in just for, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no question, picturesque, picturesque. Yeah,
0: yeah definitely beautiful. So though that would be, um, those are really notable ones. They, they spent a lot of money making those venues and they're going to be four season venues the gondola will be running you know ski season and during the non-ski season so that's pretty exciting uh pat's peak had a huge uh campaign last year to build uh, a great new part of their their ski lodge and it was all post and beam it was beautiful uh, mcintyre ski area which is right in the middle of manchester which is one of our largest cities um it's super cool ski area really worth looking at and they have a killer Um, Snow Tube Hill. They have a whole new restaurant that provides outdoor seating and for this winter they have um, a lot of heating lamps and different things. Same with Pat's Peak, they have a lot of heating lamps and different things so that you could comfortably sit outside in the winter time and enjoy you know a little notch while you do a little ski. So that's always fun. Um, And then across the board our ski areas have spent a good amount of money uh, retrofitting their operations to make sure that they are, uh, you know, safer for, for COVID times, low risk. Um, so you're going to see a lot of the things you've probably seen at various areas. So plexiglass, a heck of a lot of the signage. So, you know, take a, t- take a minute when you're at the ski to read them, because I can assure you that they're there with messages to help you have a successful visit. Um, and then again, that sort of like, Outdoor seating, Um, you're going to see a lot more like outdoor seating options, sometimes food trucks and a lot of cool new different things at ski areas. So um, Things are definitely different this year. You're going to see how every ski area will have a little bit uh, some new things. Um, Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty great year, I think.
1: Well, you did a great write up. Uh, so, uh, on, on sort of what to expect and I'm just gonna give you a break from speaking. You've been doing so good. Uh, just giving us some really good information. Uh, but first it's really six points. No, before you go, we, uh, we're going to reinforce that, uh, probably another, another two or three times before we're done today, we're a face covering practice, social distancing, boot up at the car, and bring only absolute essentials with you on the trails Buy tickets and passes online and stay home. If you're feeling sick. One thing I'm, uh, maybe looking forward to isn't the right word, but um, you know, going to make the best of the opportunity is sort of that tailgate thing feel maybe seen of course you know we're really again the primary reason you're even going to a ski area is to ski or ride so you're not tailgating but just the fact that uh maybe you have a little bit more time you know sort of at the car make a big production of you know getting your chair out putting your boots on putting a blanket down you know so you maybe wind stop or i don't know uh and then go back and get your lunch or uh, refuel um that kind of thing so get a little music maybe in the background i don't know but again we're there to, to ski and ride so um but i also understand that the general managers of most of the ski areas in new hampshire early on in uh, march or early in the spring when the pandemic first started and the ski areas had to shut down they were part they were we, we, uh, meeting weekly with their counterparts in the state government and other public health officials i'm curious it sounded like they were able to work on guidelines that essentially kind of worked for the industry to put the industry in the best possible position to be successful uh, and to keep staff and visitors as safe as possible and and still have an opportunity to operate so um just curious was that the case and uh how do you think it went from folks that you talked to
0: yeah so um we've been meeting weekly with our general managers of our member ski areas since i think it's been since april Ever since, you know, we shut down and then it became very clear that the COVID-19 wasn't going away fast and would definitely, it looked like it was going to affect our winter. Alas, here we are. Um, so, you know, and that's the the oddest part about this whole uh, pandemic thing is it's been, um, it's been really instrumental in bringing our, our general managers and ski areas um, and various departments within ski areas together. Um, So we don't just have a general manager's call. We have um, a food and beverage call. We have uh, events and racing. Um, We have I can't exactly remember them all at the moment. But so we have different uh, various departments at our ski areas coming together on a weekly basis to sort of share and learn from each other and to talk about some areas where um, they might need a little extra help um, or something that is working really well for them. So that's been incredible, you know, so I call it cooperation. So, you know, like you would think all these areas who are competing for, um, you know, a single, a similar target market that they might not want to share things, but it's been the absolute opposite in the state of New Hampshire. People have really come together. And I think that This will be a theme that continues to the future. And I think it will make New Hampshire and our industry, the ski industry, way stronger. You know, the fact that everyone is comfortable with each other and that now our food and beverage people at various ski areas know each other well enough because we're using Zoom so you can sort of see their face, get to know them a little bit, rather than just getting together once a year at an annual conference. um, You know, people are calling each other up left and right and just checking in, which has been like it's been absolutely incredible for our industry. And it's something I am most proud of and really happy to see happening because I, um, I went to weird hippie schools my whole life. And so for me, you know, that's part of the learning process is you all come together and you talk about it, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and you debrief about it like, like maybe 10 times. Um, so it's been really great to see that happen within our industry.
1: Cooperation. i uh, definitely wrote that down a couple times um, i'm going to try to use that today if you if i can <laughs> um that's really uh it, really great to hear encouraging inspiring and ag- another good segue to sort of my next questions about partnerships and um you know i'm certainly ski new hampshire not private trade association you know represents and promotes you know some of the state's largest employers um and uh, you certainly interact with a lot of different organizations, associations. Say, you know, your sister, Ski New Hampshire's, uh, Ski Vermont, Ski Maine, others, you State Department of Travel and Tourism, I'm sure some of the federal agencies, U.S. Forest Service, others. Uh, Can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about just um, approaches to working with them and how involved they've been, uh, again, in similar discussions?
0: Sure. Um, So similarly to our weekly calls within our own industry in New Hampshire, um, I haven't joined them as much as my boss, Jessica Keeler, um, who's the president of Ski New Hampshire, but she has gone on um, its nationwide association presidents and and, um, directors who have a weekly call. And um, we also have an organization called NSAA, which is National Ski Areas Association, and um, so they're like one of our state associations, but on a national level. And they've been doing an incredible job of just you know, sort of trickling down some really key information. Um, they've been right in the forefront of uh, you know, sort of working with uh, legislators on a national level and trying to get out some of the um, suggested guidance points so a lot of we based our New Hampshire guidance off of some you know sort of more general guidance that NSA cr- uh, created. So that's been amazing, and they've they've just you know really knocked it out of the park this year. And our state associations, I know specifically with New Hampshire, we've been working you know hand in hand with NSA, going back and forth. Um, I talked to their um, marketing communications director, Adrian Isaacs. Um, well talk and email like definitely on a weekly basis just catching up um talking about media calls and different things whatever's going on um and then since new new england is so small it's we talk to uh molly mehar over at vermont a lot she's the director of SAA over there and then um dirk over at ski maine so and we like now more than ever it's all about sharing what we know collectively. And if we can all have, you know, a similar plan in place, then it's easier, easier for us to speak to a great and more general audience. Um, And so nationwide as ski area associations, you know, we've been doing that. And it's been, it's been really, really cool. You know, it's not an us versus them thing at all. So I think that's been pretty awesome.
1: Great, great. No, and I would think that, again, sort of speaking with that one voice is, you know, probably what your members find, you know, most valuable. And I guess I'm curious too. you know, again, just uh, with the backdrop of representing and promoting the, uh, the ski areas in, uh, in the state, you know, um, what can the state do to help, you know, ski areas now and even beyond the, the pandemic? Is it more of the guidance? Is it you know some sort of you know capital um capital funds and um you know what uh what other resources you know can they provide to uh you know put you in the best position to be successful you know this season and uh and beyond or is it just a continuation of some of the partnerships again like you said zoom creating you know these um strengthening maybe re- uh, relationships already existed but The frequency having face uh, face to face uh, is really um, helping. So I'm just curious. Yeah. So
0: definitely, this year has been strengthening those relationships, and we've been working. You know, within Ski New Hampshire, that's um, definitely our government relations is more important than marketing and communications, and you know, tickets and different things. Because at the end of the day, uh, the point of our organization is to provide information and various things to the public, but also provide uh, whatever the ski areas, our member ski areas need. So, um, with within government, things change all the time. New bills, different things, and it could be about anything. Um, it could be about like different environmental protection orders going through that affect um, how much water a ski area could use or, um, you know, it, could, it <laughs> It could be about new things coming through for for the food industry, you know? So we work hand in hand with with different chambers, other types of associations like restaurant and lodging. Um, We also work with the business business administration. Um, We work, so we actually are really, really lucky in New Hampshire where we have not only a skiing governor, but a skiing, business like commissioner. So Commissioner Taylor Caswell is also like a hardcore skier. He grew up in Littleton. Um, So he and obviously Governor Kristen Nunu, whose family owns Waterville Valley ski area. So we have um, some people who, oh, and then Annie Custer, like, can't forget Annie. (laughs) Annie Custer is a Congresswoman for the state of New Hampshire, and she uh, grew up skiing at Wildcat Ski area, and her dad was instrumental into making that ski area a, a ski area. So we have these people who are really important for our state um, on a state and national level, and they all happen to love to ski. So um, it's been really amazing to be able to work for them and, and to, you know, when they can, they support us. Obviously, they have many, many things <laughs> to think about and um, a lot of different people to please. But it's pretty great to have people um, in those positions of power who even understand the joy of skiing.
1: That's that's fantastic, and obviously, um, yeah, it's it's learning by doing. And uh, there's probably no better, um, you know, uh, spokesperson, than you know, from a policy standpoint, uh, when when someone understands, like you said, the culture uh, and. Uh, loves and has a passion for the sport so uh you definitely have some policymakers uh, on one side that uh, support and loves skiing you certainly have your operators your ski areas you have industry outdoor industries as well as you know the affiliate members as part of ski new hampshire What about us? What about our listeners, the skiers and riders? What is the best way listeners can support the goals of Ski New Hampshire and your members? Is it buying a pass? Is it booking lodging? Is it posting photos of their day on social media? Is it supporting local businesses? Is it E all the above or is it F other? (laughs) This Um, is is the wind down.
0: (laughs) Sort of, sort of all the above, but like at the end of the day, to me, um what most important for for our your listeners to to do is to just you know get out there and ski and to get you know bring a friend someone who's never done it if he can and um Another thing is there's, there's a heck of a lot of lapsed skiers. So people who may or may not have gone a bunch when they were a kiddo and then college happened and then college loans happened and life hit, you know, and then you're in your mid thirties and you're just like, I own a house and I still have college debt, you know, like, so just bring some of them. Yeah. You know, like there's rental gear is awesome now. And you can even like demo gear is out of this world. So you don't have to own this whole fancy setup if you only want to go two to three times a year just go to a ski shop or a ski area and demo something you know just go and be like hey i haven't gone in this amount of time and i'm looking to to ski this type of terrain and they'll just hand you something amazing um so just you know know that you don't have to own everything you know like everyone there's definitely those people who do own a heck of a lot of stuff but look at me i use used gear all the time and um i love demo days you know you can go to ski areas on a demo day and they have all of these various ski shops or or ski companies, snowboard companies, and you can try different things um, just for the day. And so there's there is opportunity to get outside and to get skiing. Um, and I just welcome people to, to check that out. So go to skiinage.com, you know, check out our various ski areas, and then go to the ski area websites themselves and see if if you know you can find a ski area that really speaks to you and just, you know, have some fun. Like, don't make it too complicated. Just get out there, you know?
1: And if you you need that gear, you know, uh, and all else fails, just, you know, go to Shannon's Storage Shed and uh, (laughs) just dig out some, dig out some sticks.
0: <laughs> Seriously. I've got some bikes too. <laughs> I'd Ooh. like to get rid of
1: well, that fat biking. Mount I've bikes, never done yeah. that. Fat biking <laughs> is on my list uh, sometime. <laughs> Just a demo though. No, uh, not going to buy it. Um, well, the other, uh, thank you again uh, for uh, sharing a little bit about uh, ski New Hampshire, the outlook on the season. Of course, uh, you also can sign up for newsletters and powder alerts at ski nh.com so be sure to do that if you're thinking about heading up to the white mountains and some of the other offerings in the state of new hampshire this season of course know before you go just give those fine folks at the ski areas a quick call before you head out just to make sure you understand the latest information uh, and guidance now shannon it is time for the lightning round
0: thanks right on what do you got jeff
1: we are this could be uh this could be unpredictable listeners so uh but we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with it unicorn. a couple questions unicorn oh. that was yes that's the <laughs> answer how'd you know <laughs> we're gonna give you a handful of quick questions first thing that comes to mind you can pass if you feel the need to and then i'm gonna kick it to you for one last uh, question here we go lightning round shannon Favorite view from a New Hampshire summit?
0: Any ski trail that is totally just, you know, whether it's ankle or knee deep in powder. like, that's what I'm looking for.
1: All right. Love it. The next question you, you kind of answered already. So I think I'm going to stick with your original answer as we were talking. The second question was must stay lodging. And you mentioned the Mount Washington hotel. Grand Summit Hotel or is it Mount Washington Hotel? Uh,
0: it's the Omni Mount Washington Hotel.
1: So n- none, nothing I said was right there. So uh, <laughs> so we're gonna go with that for your second answer. Third question of the lightning round. If there was a meal to order after a day in that in that knee-high or ankle-high pow. <laughs> what would it be and where? Or, and or where?
0: Hmm. Well. What would it be and where? Um, So I'm gonna give you something specific here. So my uh, longtime ski buddy, he was actually one of my bosses when I worked at um, teaching children how to ski at Attach. His name's Seamus McGrath, and he owns McGrath's in North Conway. And he has these um, potato skins that are Rubens. It's a Reuben potato skin. (laughs) and um it's life-changing i like i mean personally the the flavor combination of a reuben is i think sent direct from heaven so you put that on a potato skin like i enough said make sure you order extra sauce
1: though oh wow we are definitely going to uh, put that in the uh, show notes uh, and that actually might tie right into the other the next question. Best apres. I mean, a Reuben potato skin. I don't think you even need the beverage at that point. Let's just, uh, let's just chow down. But no, if you had to pick a apres, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. Uh, best uh, off the, after the mountain, uh, off mountain, it can be just, you know, after you, you know, kicking up your feet, you got some good uh, friends, family around, social distance, of course, this year, uh, where, maybe outside or presumably outside, where, where would that be? Any Anything come to mind?
0: um so my family like we'd love to gather around a a bowl of like goldfish crackers and like to crack some beers (laughs) so it might not be the sexiest affray you've ever had but you know there's nothing better than some like chips and dip and just some beers from you know like fancy beers you go to the beer store and you buy those like the ones that come in only four and you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna drink this one fancy beer after I go and, you know, shred the gnar all day. So um, it's not an actual establishment, you know, it's just sort of like a gritty approach to apres and I suggest that to all.
1: No question, cheddar uh, <laughs> goldfish are uh, a winner all day and that will, will would be in my backpack uh, should I be bringing a snack along for a day on the slopes. Final question, you did great. The lighting round has been a success so far. If you want folks to remember one thing about this conversation, what is it?
0: Uh, well, for this year, it's know before you go. Make sure you visit whatever ski area you're thinking about going or skienh.com and figure out you know, where you're gonna go, and what you need to do before you literally show up to any ski area in the nation, not just in New Hampshire.
1: Yep, yep. All right. Well, we will. Um, oh, actually, before we leave it there, this is so-called last chair. Uh, is there anything else you uh, we haven't covered? I have not asked you, but you would like to plug or just mention?
0: Um, I just want to tell everyone that I love them, and <laughs> I'm just super pumped to be on the show, and I hope that. I don't know i hope if i did one thing today it, it made you feel like that skiing in new hampshire is awesome and it's, it's accessible you know we're here we have so many different experiences and no matter where you come from in life we have something for you um i promise i'm so serious right now so if you've been thinking about starting skiing or you have a buddy who might be interested or you just haven't done it for a while you know just like you know please come and come and do that and and choose New Hampshire. You know, there's a lot of opportunity really within close proximity of each other.
1: Well, we will leave it there. Nothing can sound better after what, uh, what we've been talking about. I'm super excited to get up there. I hope I'm able to do it and I hope we can, uh, maybe even get a few turns on, uh, one of the many, many slopes that will be knee deep in pow sometime soon as we remain optimistic about, up on Mother Nature as well as the upcoming ski season. So uh, we will also encourage you to follow Ski New Hampshire on Twitter at Ski New Hampshire, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and of course their website. We will leave it there. Thank you again, Shannon, for joining me today.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks everyone for listening.
1: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Shannon. I'm already cooking up ways to have her back on the show. Until then, on to some ski trivia. This handful of episode-related ski trivia questions may be helpful when planning your next visit to New Hampshire. Here we go. First, what gives the White Mountains of New Hampshire its name? Second, what two New Hampshire ski areas overlook a lake below? Third, what picturesque image of the town of Jackson, home to Black Mountain, may as well be the logo for the charm of New Hampshire? Four. What ski area is home to a new scenic gondola? 5. What life changing after ski meal can be found at McGrath's Tavern in North Conway, New Hampshire? All answers will be posted on Twitter this week. Looks like it's 4 o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you to my guest, Shannon Dumphy Ball, Ski New Hampshire. Thank you to my listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Powderhound Skis, Or better yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type Powderhound Podcast. See you on the slopes, Powderhound.